what happens to these individuals after they do become pregnant, thank God, and how do they manage the pregnancy going forward? Because as we know, pregnancy is a long nine months and hopefully it is you know, a full-term pregnancy with a healthy baby at the end. But the outside perspective for individuals who are struggling is that you got pregnant, great, everything will be fine now. But seeing those two pink lines doesn't give you the guarantee that you're taking home a baby in nine months. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. The Jewish weekly day of rest, Shabbos, is so precious and sacred. However, many women find it challenging to refrain from applying makeup on this festive day, and some are even hesitant to leave the house. Enter 7th Day Shine, a revolutionary skincare and makeup line that can be applied on Shabbos while keeping halacha. Their foundation, blush, bronzer, eyeshadow, and eyeliner and lip powders come in a huge array of colors, and their application brushes are so luxurious. My favorite product is Luminosity, an intensely hydrating and refreshingly scented serum that's especially formulated for permissible application on Shabbos. Check out their full line on 7thdayshine.com. That's the number 7, T-H-D-A-Y-S-H-I-N-E.com. And enter Birthway10 for 10% off your purchase. Find the link in the episode show notes. It takes time and practice to master the skill of the newborn swaddle. So here's my hack. Go to elliesandco.com. Among their full line of gorgeous, high-quality baby bedding and lay assets, you will find adjustable swaddle blankets that take at all the guesswork. With a pocket for baby's legs and adjustable wings with secure closures, your baby swaddle will be perfect every time. Go to elliesandco.com. That's E-L-Y-S-A-N-D-C-O.com and enter BW10 for 10% off your purchase. Link in the episode show notes. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthday. Birthway podcast to my dear audience. I know that your time is valuable and precious, and I'm so honored that you used it to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a review and rating it on Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to this podcast through any other platform, then please consider subscribing so that you don't miss another episode. And doing these things really helps us get out there and reach more people. Today, I am interviewing a guest that I have an extraordinary amount of respect for, and I've learned so much from her. Please meet Amy Barron, MD, FAAP. She is the founder and executive director of I Was Supposed to Have a Baby, a nonprofit organization that utilizes social media to support Jewish individuals and families as they are struggling to have a child. It provides a warm and nurturing space for those going through infertility, pregnancy loss, infant loss, surrogacy, or adoption, in addition to connecting those families 
to resources in the Jewish community at large. Dr. Barron was formerly the Director of Innovation and Growth at Nechama Comfort and has also worked as an attending pediatrician in the newborn nursery and neonatal intensive care unit at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital before taking a leave of absence after her third miscarriage. She lives in the New York area with her family. Amy, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us. The audience is going to have so much to learn from you, um, and I really appreciate it. So being that you deal a lot with infertility, you know, that's basically all you deal with. Being that you deal with people who have infertility, thankfully, I'm sure you have many that go on to have a pregnancy. And I can only imagine how anxiety-provoking a pregnancy can be after finally getting that good thing that you've been longing for that may have seemed so far away. Um, So, you know, what can you tell me about your experiences? Do you continue to support people who have achieved pregnancy after trying for so long? Absolutely. So first of all, Hani, I should just say that, yes, you're, you're a thousand percent right in that the bulk of the work that I do is infertility. But when you say infertility and when I say infertility, I, I, I just want to make sure we're all and, and the audience, we're all clear with sort of what the definition of infertility is. Because yes, yes. yes. Inf- infertility, you know, for some people is a very narrow definition, is a very narrow diagnosis of I'm unable medically to have a child. And so what I deal with is that, but I also deal with all of the other aspects of the sort of the the lesser known pieces or, or the lesser spoken about pieces of infertility. The individuals who aren't having children because they're dealing with mental health issues, anxiety, depression, whatever else, and it's and, and their diagnosis is just too much and getting pregnant would be too much for them. The individuals who have um, some kind of medical disorder or medical condition that prevent them from getting pregnant health-wise, the individuals who can't get pregnant because of finances or they're living in different locations or a thousand other reasons. but. Also, when I think of just infertility in general, someone who's struggling to have a child, sometimes, not sometimes, but but that also means people who can get pregnant but can't carry that baby to fruition, can't bring home that baby, that healthy baby after nine months. And so those individuals are struggling exactly in the same way. So I deal with all aspects of infertility. So I, I just wanted to sort of lay that out there um, to begin with. Yes, it's such a wide, the word infertility is such a wide spectrum. It's such a huge umbrella of different details and specifics. And myself being in the perinatal field, you know, of course, I have quite a number of patients who have struggled to get pregnant in one way or another. And I thought I knew so much. But following you, you know, basically since the beginning, I believe, of your account has taught me so 
much more. And yes, like you say, there are some people that are actively preventing pregnancy for numerous reasons, kind of against their will. They wish their circumstances were such that they can get pregnant. And I actually also want to mention those who are single, they haven't found their intended partner yet and desperately want to build a family. But again, don't find themselves. Right. Circumstantially. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for, look, you know, I, the, the point of doing what I do is, is to really to educate and to sensitize people. So thank you. Yes. Um, but getting back to your original question, you know, the question of what, what happens to these individuals after they do become pregnant, thank God, um, and how do they manage the pregnancy going forward? Because, you know, as we know, pregnancy is a long nine months and, and hopefully it is, you know, a full-term pregnancy with a healthy baby at the end. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, the, the outside perspective for individuals who are struggling is that, oh, like you got pregnant, great, everything will be fine now. And it just like, you know, because you deal with these women as well. And I know because uh, this is so much of what I do that seeing those two pink lines on your home pregnancy test or getting that positive beta at your reproductive endocrinologist's office, like it, it means you're pregnant, yes but it doesn't give you the guarantee that you're taking home a baby in nine months. And so there's still every single day of that pregnancy where you don't know what's going to be the next day. And look, this is obviously, you know, for individuals who go through loss, their naivete about how pregnancy, you know, positive pregnancy test equals take home baby that's been shattered. And so they know that. But what people don't realize is that individuals who are going through, you know, the strict, as we say, like the stricter medical definition of infertility, like they're often so traumatized from going through months, years, however long of multiple fertility treatments of doctor's appointments, shots, medications, ultrasounds, you know, you name it, that they know that for them, it's not like it took so much for them to get there. And they know that things could be taken away also in a second. And so they too embark upon this pregnancy, like really walking on eggshells. I just can't imagine. It's such a roller coaster of emotions especially when we take someone who's had losses and early losses too, and the insane amount of money that it costs for some of these treatments like IVF, IUI, um, and then just getting those two lines, those two pink lines, only to have a loss a month or two later or several weeks later I just can't imagine that roller coaster of emotions. You're exactly right. Exactly right. You know, Brene Brown, I love her. Do you know Brene Brown? She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. So 
for those who don't know her, she's just an incredible researcher on, she's a social worker and a researcher on shame and on just a lot of human psychology. Empathy. She's amazing on empathy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she talks about how one of the hardest emotions to lean into is joy, because we think that if we have this, you know, um, if we keep ourselves kind of on guard for when the, you know, the shoe's going to drop for when something bad is going to happen to us, then we think that we can protect ourselves from the disappointment if it actually really does happen. And I would think that this would be so applicable to someone who's had infertility and who felt like pregnancy was so far away and then finally they have it. I'm sure that they also, even if they haven't experienced loss prior to this pregnancy and even if the pregnancy advances into the later stages, I would think it's just hard to lean into that that joy because it took so much work to get there. Yes. In my experience dealing with, you know, thousands of women, the what's interesting is that there seems to be sort of like two camps. They're sort of like the inward, like the inward feelings of what the person is going through and the outward display of like whatever they feel like showing everyone else. So, you know, it's, let's deal with the second first, right? Like they're finally pregnant and like everyone around them is like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like you're finally at this place that you wanted to be for so long. You know, obviously when they're telling whoever they're telling. And so like everyone around them is celebrating and they like, they have to put on this face almost, so to speak, because unless you've been there, people don't really understand why they might have trouble exactly as Brene Brown is saying, like leaning into that joy. So they have to do it. And sometimes like, you know, other people want to buy things for the baby or they want to get, get things sort of set up already. Like even in like, you know, in, in certain communities, like we know, like people don't do that because of eye and heart reasons, because of um, evil eye, like don't do anything to prepare for the baby, but others really want to and, and like feel this excitement and like get ready. And it's hard to be that like Debbie Downer to everyone else of like, hey guys, like just chill out. Like I'm just trying to get through the day, right? And so like really what so many of these people are carrying is this like this internal stress, this internal depression, this internal anxiety that no one seems to understand. And it's unless they find a community, so to speak, of women or families who've been there, they feel so isolated and alone. And they often feel like they feel so othered, like nobody understands, like, why am I like, feeling so sad and anxious about this when everyone else is so happy. So I I think like there's this real disconnect between like what they're dealing with internally versus what the outside world is expecting them to be. And I think that that's one of the beauties of finding community in like in 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 this space. Like when you find like when you go on social media, not only my account, like the I was supposed to have a baby account, but in general, when you re- reach out to others who 
have been through, like pregnancy after infertility, pregnancy after IVF, like these are all hashtags that you can search for and you can find like different individuals, different accounts, different communities that are talking about this. But also some of the other Jewish fertility, um, Jewish fertility um, organizations and myself, we also have support groups um, that are either designated for individuals who are pregnant after going through treatment or loss, or within our general groups, we talk about these things. And we, we have conversations about what it feels like. And so when you're sitting in a room, so to speak, and I'm using my virtual support groups as, as an example here, when you're sitting in a room with you know, eight to 10 other individuals who are nodding along as you're talking about your anxiety, it's, it's so freeing. It, it feels finally like you're being understood. Amy, this is why I love you so much, because this is such a layered, nuanced concept. And I thought, again, as usual with you, I thought I knew a little bit about it, but this adds such a deep dimension to it where people who finally got pregnant and advancing through the pregnancy and telling others can feel so isolated when their true feelings are kind of discounted or just overlooked. And that's incredible that they can have that support. And today in the time of social media, I think it's amazing how I'd imagine there's so much more support out there and validation for people who are feeling this way. And is there an element of guilt attached to that also where everyone around them seems to be telling them that they should just be happy? And how could you be not happy? How could you be ungrateful? How could you be feeling negative feelings when you finally got in this? Look, I, I mean, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I hear a lot, like people talk a, a lot, like th there is no research, but people talk about like how ne like there's this, they, they think that there's this concept that when you have negative feelings, it'll affect the pregnancy. And, and that's just like, utter nonsense like it's really nonsense like and like and then people talk about well don't be stressed and you know it's going to affect the baby also like if you think about it too much or if you're like you know ruminating over there too much and like again i say like there's no research number one and two what about the women who had babies in the during the Holocaust or in more other war-torn regions or during famine or other things where their bodies were under a tremendous amount of stress and they were under a tremendous amount of emotional stress as well? Those babies also end up healthy. So this concept of, you know, look, do we know that poor nutrition equals poor outcome? Yes, there, there certainly is that. And no one, you know, no one can dispute that. But this notion of like bad thoughts equal bad outcome does not exist. And so like the, the, the guilt, like I think like a lot of people from the outside will say this, like, you know, stop thinking like that. It's not good for the baby. And that's just wrong. Like 
our thoughts don't produce actions. You don't cause a miscarriage. You don't cause your child to, you know, to, to do anything by your thoughts. Um, I, I, but, but I do want to say that like for so many people and specifically the, the mothers who are dealing with pregnancies after loss, this, like, like you, you carry, you can carry these emotions with you even until after the babies are born. So, you know, sometimes what happens is that even after the babies are born and this, like, yes, we see this primarily with, um, we, we can see this, it can happen primarily with individuals who've had loss, but it also can happen with those who've dealt with infertility. Um, we see that this, these feelings of sort of um, the shame, the guilt, the disconnection of like, I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know how to feel about this pregnancy. You know, all of those feelings can also carry through until after the baby is born. So it is a known phenomenon that sometimes mothers have trouble bonding with their babies afterwards because they've been through so much trauma to get there that it takes them one time to just like recognize and to sort of take that sigh of relief that like, oh, the baby is here, but like, I've even heard of reports and also like there, there are definitely there's research out there um, about mothers who then like transfer that anxiety to their babies once they're born, where they're constantly checking on them and making sure they're breathing and, you know, making sure like they can't like leave them alone for a second or they can't let them cry too much because they wanted this baby so badly and like god forbid the baby should be in any kind of distress like it it can manifest in lots of different ways even afterwards so i i think like you know the i, I think really the the key for all of this and and i i'd love to talk about some of the practical coping strategies that people can use yeah i was going to ask you next i want to do that but i i want to just before we get to that i want to just say that you know so these kinds of feelings while i would say normal or typical in any kind of situation like this, any pregnancy after a loss or infertility, look, th there's what is typical and there's what's over the line and obsessive thoughts or compulsive thoughts or anxiety to the point of where you're having panic attacks or you're so depressed that you can't get out of bed. Like Things affecting your function of day-to-day -day life, right? That's when it kind of enters into the world of you need more help and this is something that um, shouldn't be, it shouldn't affect your life so, so much that you cannot function. Correct, and that's the time to talk to your OB about it, to seek out a therapist and maybe even a psychiatrist to get yourself medication. There are medications that are safe for pregnancy if you're dealing with some of these issues that are causing you to, you know, like not be able to get through your day, like, or not be able to sleep or not be able to eat or to sleep or to eat too much, like any of these kinds of things, it's time to seek out extra help. And 
I, you know, I, we're going to go through um, coping mechanisms in one second, but I just want to say for me personally, I, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners know my story, but my personal story, um, the bulk of my story in terms of my pregnancy and, and fertility journeys is really one of loss. And I had four second trimester losses in a row after my third child. And I, you know, and, and all of those were medically unexplained. Not that that matters in terms of the emotion of it. Well, I think because maybe knowing can give someone some kind of semblance of control, um, whether that be pra- true or not. But it's just this feeling of, well, these are the things that we can do to keep the pregnancy going. Whereas for you, you felt powerless. There's nothing you know that you can actually do to keep the pregnancy going. Correct. It, it was it was it was horrible. But I, I'm telling you all of this now because like look, is it after the first loss, I was definitely, you know, depressed, upset, you know, all of the things that one one experiences after, you know, a 16 week loss. And it took me, you know, I would say probably four to six weeks to kind of come back to myself and with the resolve of like, okay, like my doctor's like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It happens. Not that it's fine, but meaning it happens. It's a fluke, like deal with your grief, like do what you need to do, but like get up and try again. And when I was ready, we did. And then it happens again. And at that point I was basically a mess. I was like, you know, this is clearly not a fluke because it's happening again at the same exact point in the pregnancy. And so clearly there's something going on, but they was they were still unable to figure out why. Second trimester pregnancy loss is a lot less common than first trimester pregnancy loss. So I think it's just another factor that can make it just so confusing and scary. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. But here, here's what I'll say, that after the third losses, third loss, and then the fourth loss. I, I can't imagine. I, I just I, can't. I, I, right. So after each loss, I was like, uh, let, let me even say, forget about after the loss, those pregnant pregnancies, because that's really what we're talking about right now, those pregnancies I was a mess. Like I was so anxiety filled like the entire time. I basically didn't leave my house. I would only go for doctor's appointments. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I like got it together to get my other kids out to go to school in the morning and then dealt with them for the few hours that they were home after school before bedtime and then collapse back in bed again. Like that was basically my existence because I just wasn't functioning. And uh, like I, so I, I, what I want to reiterate for all of you is that, you know, and, and then when we had our last pregnancy with my twins, thank God who are healthy and here, um, I was in therapy and I was on medication because even though I like managed during those other four pregnancies and like I pulled myself out, 
I pulled myself out each time taking more and more time to grieve and coming back to myself. When we got pregnant with my twins, I, I was like, I was basically toast. Like I, I was like literally not functioning. And my husband and my OBs like were right on. They were like, you need to get yourself to therapy and you need medicine right now because you're never gonna get through this pregnancy unless you do. And so I just want like, and I've shared this before, this is not a secret. Like it's a very, I'm very public about it. This is, there are some times when you need to reach outside yourself, even though you think you've got it and you think you're you're gonna be okay, you need to reach out for outside help. And I'm so glad that I did. So I just wanted to share that piece. When you're in that situation, you're not necessarily realizing, looking from the outside, how you are doing. And like you said, it's very interesting. And we know it's common for those close to you to be the ones to really encourage and say, hey, listen, you need help. You think you're functioning, but you're really not. I see you. I know you. I know what you were like before this. And your OB, you must have had a very close relationship with given all you've went through. So yeah, and there are perinatal psychiatrists and mental health specialists, and there are also infertility mental health specialists. And I imagine psychiatrists, I, I don't know specifically, but I'd imagine. So it's incredible that there are such subspecialties dealing with the specific challenges. Yes. And, and I will say just a specific plug for sort of women's mental health or reproductive mental health therapists or psychiatrists, like when you're seeking out therapy and you're dealing with these issues, any issues surrounding infertility or loss or tr struggling to have a family, it really is important to go to someone or to try to get to someone who, if they don't have a, a specialty in this area, at least have some personal experience potentially because general practitioners don't understand. They just, I, I've heard many, many stories of individuals who just like, they go to therapy because that's what you do. But when you're not trained in this area, often those individuals don't know what to say and don't understand why you're so shattered by this. And they can exacerbate the actual challenges and make them even worse when they're a mental health professional that's supposed to be helping you and this is what they're telling you so it must be something's wrong with you if you're feeling otherwise and the treatment is different too absolutely so i yeah i want to give a specific plug for that as well but um now going back to you know if you're if you're not at the point that you're ready to seek out you know a mental health professional and or a physician or you're already doing that and also need coping strategies because even with therapy and medicine, those doctors and, and therapists are not with you in your life 24 seven, you still need to be able to cope. And so I, I you know, I always give um, different thoughts and strategies about what you can do, right? So some of those things are really like, I, I think there's there's again, like two schools of thought here. One is to lean into it and to acknowledge it and to educate and sensitize other people around you to what you're going through. So 
you know, it's the like acknowledging of your feelings, the validating, the you're not crazy, you're going through this and it's okay. It, it's that piece. Like some people feel like when they're supported by lots and lots of other people, not only social media, not only support groups, but when they like really explain it to others in their life, people who they know will be supportive, who can understand when they need to complain or feel scared and are not just going to say like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Like that, that like leaning into the emotions are really helpful. That, that piece is really helpful for some people. For others, they don't want to think about the pregnancy at all. They want to do everything possible to pretend that, the, right, distract themselves and pretend the pregnancy doesn't exist because it's too stressful to even think about it. And, and we know that it's not necessarily denial. We know that there is a place for distraction as a coping mechanism for anxiety. Totally, totally. So that's that's really what it is. It's the, I'm so nervous about this, but I don't, I don't wanna think about it. I can't think about it. So I'm gonna be busy with, everything under the sun except for that. So it's the, like, I, I always recommend to people, like personally, I was a distraction person, like I needed distraction. Thinking about my feelings just made it worse. But when I say that to some people, they're like, my God, I would never wanna distract my, like everybody has a very specific way of, they, of the way they wanna deal with it. And also you can change your mind. One day it might be distraction, another day it might be validation, but, if you're in the distraction camp, like I was, so like I, I always give like these kinds of suggestions, which is like, take on a home improvement project, start doing different classes and different hobbies, clean out your closets. Um, you know, your, you know, your wedding album or your this album or your that album, which like the 12 million pictures that you've never put into albums. That's a great project that can keep you busy for like, Year, years and years and years, right? Like I have given jobs to people who, <laughs> who are on, who, are, who just like need something to do. Um, it's, it's really, it's getting yourself out, meeting with people, like volunteering. It's keeping, I, I always say also like, you need two different lists of things. You need a weekday list and you need a Shabbos list because on the weekdays, you have the advantage of going places, talking to people, using electronics, listening to podcasts, watching videos, watching movies, listening to music. You can do a thousand things to keep you distracted, right? On Shabbos or on Yantif. For those who are unaffiliated, Shabbos is the Jewish day of rest on Saturday where there are many restrictions such as using electronics and driving. And um, Yantif is holidays and there are many similar restrictions so the other list is the the shabbos the sabbath list the list of things that you can do when you don't have access to electricity you don't have access to electronics so i always recommend for people like go and buy or get from the library a million books like as many books as possible of things that you actually want to read that'll take your mind off of your worries and not like that intellectual book that you thought one day you were gonna get to or like that classic that everybody says you should read. No, like the purpose of this 
is to make sure that your mind is distracted, to have your, like, to not have to concentrate too much. You just want to, like, lose yourself in someone else's story or some other kind of, like, reality. So for me, like, I personally, I love chiclet novels. Mm -hmm. I love, like, sweeping family sagas. Mm -hmm. I love mysteries. Someone else's dysfunction and problems that are not yours. Right. Like, like, it's funny, because people to me, even now, like, they say they recommend books to me about like pregnancy loss and fertility, you know, struggling or TV shows where like this topic is mentioned. And I'm always like, yeah, no, thanks. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, that's the work that I do. I'm mm-hmm. not interested in spending my free time when I want to be distracted from my reality in the same way that people do in this situation. I don't want to spend my time reading more about it. Yeah. Like, so no, thank you. So like have the lists, have your magazines, have your books, get um, board games and card games, go visit friends, go visit relatives, like take a trip somewhere. Like do things that you know will be distracting for you on the holidays and on the Sabbath, things that you save for those days or it's something that you're looking forward to and have another list during the weekdays so that you can look forward to each of your lists. But what I always say to people and I give them homework is I say, make your lists of those things that you will go to when you're feeling a tremendous amount of anxiety, a tremendous amount of like just panic or like you can't focus on anything else. Have the lists there and ready or have the books or the games sitting on your nightstand ready because when you're in that heightened anxiety mode, when you're in that state, you can't think of things that you might wanna do to distract yourself. You need that list made when you're calm, when you're thinking, when you know what you like and your brain is clear of other kinds of things that are like just really like causing you to like, I want to say like be nuts, but that's not really what this is. This is just like you're so overwhelmed with your emotions. So if you have your lists or your things already accessible, then it's easier to get to them and it's easier to immerse yourself in something. If you're like trying to grapple and think of something when you're in that state, it's never gonna work. Yeah, so be proactive. Yes. Have that list handy and you know that you have it. And I'm sure that just even the knowledge that you've got a good plan may help alleviate some of the anxiety. Yes, and and I'll just say one thing about sleep. I, you know, which I think is also really important, sleep and eating, you know, look, we know that good, good, healthy habits in terms of getting enough sleep and eating healthy, nourishing foods when you're going through any period of stress is always helpful. But it's kind of like ridiculous because everyone's like, you know, when I'm going through a period of stress, like I'm just eating all the garbage that I can find, the potato chips and the chocolate chip cookies and the this. And like, of course I can't sleep because I'm too worried. So it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg kind of thing. But what I always say to people is in terms of food, try to sort of balance it out with like, you know, more healthy nourishing foods in addition to the chips and the chocolate. And with sleep, you know, look, have your things that you're going to listen to as you're falling asleep at night to keep your mind distracted so you're not like constantly ruminating like the soothing music or the meditation or podcasts that are like, you know, just like 
ways, guided imagery and helping you different things that can help you relax as you're falling asleep. And speaking to your doctor about medications, because there are some that are safe for pregnancy to be able to help you fall asleep. Definitely. And I'll also give one of the best tricks that somebody ever gave me in terms of like falling asleep, which I was terrible at during my pregnancies. Um, This whole like, you know, count sheep is ridiculous because like it's just mindlessly counting and when you mindlessly count your brain still wanders so it's not helpful what someone told me is that if you can get your mind focused on a different activity like actively focused on something as opposed to just mindlessly counting sheep so to speak it's easier for the mind to then relax. So the best trick that somebody gave me, which always works for me, I should say always, I should say most of the time did work for me and continues to work for me when I have trouble falling asleep is taking the letters of like my name or taking the letters of anything. And for each of the letter in your name, think of five words that start with that that letter. Mm -hmm. And then go through each because your brain is like, actively thinking of something it gets to a point where you're just not thinking about your anxiety anymore yeah and that that's uh, that's my tip that's worked for me so i'm just sharing it with all of you that's a great tip thank you this is so practical thank you so much for the validation and for bringing this up for people who may be listening that themselves have not gone through it but will know someone that's going through it. I'm sure it's gonna give them new insight and understanding of what someone that's close to them may be feeling truly and that they shouldn't just keep on, you know, uh, thinking positive and being so excited and maybe even just not even bringing it up or talking about it, giving the person space to bring it up on their own if they want to, um, or even open communication. Absolutely. Amy, thank you so much. This has been great. You have such a treasure trove of knowledge and insight. I can't wait for you to come back on and talk about yet another one of the brilliant things that you have to say. Hani, thank you. I relish every opportunity to be able to give out more education and sensitivity to the general public and for people for themselves as well as they're going through this. So thank you for the opportunity also. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 